Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. The TTC um, finally, finally looks like it's going to have cell service. And that's good, right? We like good things. Around October 3rd, all TTC subway riders will get cell phone service. Kind of Rogers customers right now have sort of had that flirtation with getting it. And uh, licenses of all the major carriers are going to have to be revised to make sure TTC riders have coverage in Toronto's system. Kind of riding in, there was no horse. It was just more a black Cadillac Escalade. Couldn't tell you if it was a green vehicle or not. I mean, what do you think? But Francois-Philippe Champagne came in, the Federal Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry. And they had a news conference to explain all that will happen with uh, cell phones and contracts in Toronto. So I thought that that was interesting. We won't hear from him, but way, way back when the Toronto mayoral campaign, uh, the by-election kicked off, and Bailau was one of the first, although many candidates, um, you know, lamented and uh, criticized the fact that this hadn't happened yet, for sure that that happened. Mark Saunders talked about safety. Anthony Fury talked about safety. Josh Matlow said, I don't know why we didn't get this done early, earlier. And he blamed John Tory uh, for that. That's oftentimes Josh Matlow will blame John Tory for things fair or otherwise. That's just the case of, of the past. And Anna Bailau was on our show and said this about making sure there was service in the underground. I was the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as I started talking about uh, considering running for mayor, this was one of the issues that I brought forward. Um, and that then I put the telcos on notice because there are $30 million of contracts that the city awards uh, for cell phone services to the different companies. Um, but I also think we, we need to bring the uh, federal government into the conversation. You know, these companies are regulated by the federal government. So it is important that, uh, that we, we push them to, uh, to compel the telcos to have this service. It is a convenience, but above all, through what we're living uh, is actually a safety matter. It's, it is a public safety matter. Um, and so we need to sell services on the TTC. Now, a lot of people would wonder, and I did it as well, why is the Minister of Science and Innovation here in our city, and why is he making this announcement? This is Toronto. It's the TTC. Why does the federal government have to get involved? But so much of it is regulation. They regulate the telecommunications companies. So they regulate Rogers Bell and Telus. They tell them what they can or can't do. That said, what I worry about is this was a money-making opportunity. I mean, not just now, but ages ago for the city. And they botched it. And they botched it really badly, as a matter of fact. I don't know what you hang on the eight years plus a few months of John Tory and go, this is what he did well. Here are his accomplishments. But here's where he failed. And and here's where uh, Doug Ford, or rather Rob Ford, failed before this. This should have been moved on years ago. You only need the Google machine to check out telecommunications. When did contracts get going? When could people use their phones? London Underground, it was eight, nine years ago, like almost everywhere. And they're constantly expanding the tube in London, England. That's the city I'd, I'd say I would know the best. I've, I've been to London even more than I've been to a New York or Chicago and taken transit. But the Chicago Transit Authority, no different. They ended up getting a big, fat contract from Sprint, right? Sprint PCS in 2015. And they made money on the deal. They set up a process and decided, let's have companies bid. We don't just give this away. We make it worth something. 
This is often the case you hear about with uh, sports teams and tickets. If you and I are starting a minor league baseball team or a minor league hockey team, we need to make the tickets a commodity and we need to make going to the games an event. So would we give away a lot of tickets in the first year just to get people in the building and see the product? We would not. We would not do that. We would make sure that the commodity of the ticket mattered. Eventually, you can kind of flirt with the idea of some corporate giveaways, get some youth teams in, people maybe who wouldn't be able to afford to go otherwise. I mean, we know that, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs don't have to do that. And right now, for sure, like the Blue Jays don't have to do that. There's no Toonie Tuesdays anymore. They'll sell you a hot dog for a buck, but you're still paying 58 bucks for your ticket in the 500 level. You still are. Jamal Myers is on the TTC, and he said this about adding service for Toronto Transit riders. Parents know where their kids are. Friends know where their friends are when they're going home late at night from a night out. Uh, so I think this is a huge importance in terms of like making people feel safe using public transit again. And there's another issue for sure. We could talk about the economics of it, but for safety and for just plain convenience, your train gets delayed. All of a sudden, it's not moving. Remarkably frustrating. And by the way, now you do get that people are going to be uh, FaceTiming other people while they're walking off of trains and walking up escalators and walking down escalators. So uh, brace yourself for that. Keep those elbows high and consistent. Um, honestly, it's it's out, out of control. People walking while texting and walking while doing video calls. But this is going to be fascinating, and we need transit to work. As transit goes, many people think the city will. It's one thing for transit to be busy in the summer. You're headed down to the CNE. You're going to the Caribbean Carnival. You're going to the Blue Jays. You're going to Bud State. You're going to wherever. But then a Wednesday comes in January. And is it busy? I drive past a GO station every day to get home. I drive past the GO station, and I, I've never, ever seen it quite like this. You'd have to, you'd be walking 15 minutes from parking way, way, way at the back pre-pandemic. You do not have to worry about a parking spot anymore. You, you could basically call them and go, hey, I need a parking spot. And they could say they could pick up the phone and say, what time will you get here? And by the way, I'm not willing to blame the cell service providers on this as well. I don't see them as not willing to provide their service. I just think they saw an opportunity for leverage. And have you ever tried to get out of a cell phone contract with Rogers, Bell or Telus? Have you ever tried to cut your cable off? They can be relentless. And that's just the people on the phone. So let's take the higher ups. The problem seemed to be the high fees for access, and they paid for the infrastructure. Rogers did anyway. So the city didn't end up building it, and they didn't make it available equitably to all carriers, and they didn't create a process by which they were giving something of value or selling, more importantly, uh, more specifically, something of value. They didn't do that. They made a huge, huge mistake. They had an asset and didn't utilize it. Want an example? Give you another one. Here's New York City, the Big Apple. Transit Wireless is a company that has a 27-year contract with the MTA, the Metropolitan Transit Authority. They get a 27-year deal. Here's what happens. They get to design, build, operate, maintain a cellular connect connectivity plan and a Wi-Fi plan as well in the subway stations in New York. What's that cost Transit Wireless? $300 million. Who gets that? The city. Do, do you think do you think Rogers Bellertellis are coming even close to one tenth of giving for the privilege of charging customers in the in in the in the TTC or on the TTC? Do you think they're even close to 300 million? Do you think they're at 10%? That's 30 million. 20%, that's 60 million. 
I can assure you they are not. I don't know the numbers. I'm trying to get them. I'd love to hunt them down, but it's not even close. This was an asset and the city kind of gave it away. And by the way, that revenue gets shared with the MTA. The city gets part of the revenue that Transit Wireless ends up making. And there's no tax money involved. Nothing from the taxpayer. Do you think that's the case here? I can assure you it is not. If you've got thoughts on this, uh, whether the city... Look, it's exciting to, uh, to get the concept of having service come to parts of Toronto that weren't there before. It's exciting to be able to let a friend know, hey, I'm going to be a bit late or I can't wait to see you or read something and, and follow along. You could even listen to 640 Toronto on the subway now on the Radio Player Canada app eventually. But at the same time, this had the potential to be so much, much more for the city of Toronto. And it fell short financially in terms of obligations. And it fell short in terms of the potential to have these companies bid for the right, as opposed to here, we're begging you, help us out. City shouldn't be a charity. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. We talked a good chunk about it yesterday, and we sure did after um, Friday's comment from Doug Ford at Ford Fest in Kitchener about schools and indoctrination. It, they're tricky subjects. What a, your, your child and their gender identity, their pronouns, et cetera, et cetera. There was a well-traveled op-ed in the Toronto Star about it. Uh, yesterday morning um, it's a privilege not a right to know your kid's gender identity that was from a contributor and the mom of a uh, of a transgender son who's only 11 years old she's allowed to have that opinion absolutely she is but it doesn't have to be a universal opinion and disagreeing with that opinion does not somehow make you a hateful bigot these conversations have subtlety and nuance and and depth uh, i want to welcome on lisa who's the mom of a trans daughter who has a interesting story and she's so agreed to share this with us lisa thanks very much for coming on our show we really appreciate it no problem um so your story is and I don't know if this happened this year. Or this was more in in the previous academic year, was it? It was in two thousand two years ago. Two years ago, so twenty one or twenty twenty one. It's hard. 21, yeah. All the years have blended together, as you might imagine. Um, I, had to, I had to check it before. I, I <laughs> yeah, and it's your story, and I did too. Exactly. So if you did, I certainly did. Um, and you got a voicemail from the school that, in essence, to you, outed your son. Can you walk yeah. us through that story? I got a call and it was just like a child in your household named, and it was a name that I didn't recognize, um, was marked, was you know, marked absent today. And I'm like, um, hello. It's like, you almost like, did I hear that right? And, and then I came my, at that time, my son came home and I'm like, hold on. I go, I, I got this call from the school, but they said it was that it was Anna. Did I hear that right? And I was like, close the door, slam the door. I'm like, I'm not down for this conversation yet. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but that's how I found out was the voice, the automatic voicemail from the school. And you're thinking maybe they have a wrong number. Or you're thinking maybe this is, this is not, this is oh. not for me. Or did you start to think, no, it is for me. And, and oh. we haven't had this proper conversation yet as parent and child. It was not, it was, we just haven't had this conversation as parent and child. Um, mm -hmm. There were definite, there was definite signs and clues. And I was like, okay, like it was not, not a surprise. It was just a surprise how I found out. Um, and you, 
you'd say what about this a system that allows you to find out that way not like i said not not ideal kind of covers it i think parents and kids can move past things like that but i'm sure at the time you're thinking this this is not how this conversation should begin this is with an automatic robot voicemail from a school right and so what what, did you contact the school at that point in time I didn't. Um, at, at the same time as, as this was happening, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So I, I didn't have bandwidth to go deep. It's like, okay, okay, this is what we're doing. Okay. It was more just, what do we need to do to make this right? Um, I had thought about calling the school because my thought was, well, I'm accepting and it's like, and I'm a welcoming, accepting household but what if it wasn't like, what if you, you know, that call came to someone's house that was not tolerant. So I was concerned about that because then you might, you know, you might be outing your child and to an an inhospitable environment. So that was my thought. But then hearing what's going on in the news, it's like, I'm really on the fence. Like I would have liked to have known beforehand, but schools are also a safe it should be a safe place for kids where they feel themselves. So it's. I hear that. And, and did your daughter say, look, I had this conversation at eventually when you do have that chat, Lisa, do you, did your daughter say, I had this conversation at the school. I didn't know. I didn't know if I could tell you. I was, we're all afraid to tell our parents' kids. Oh, sometimes this yeah. has some gravity to it, but we're afraid to talk about oh, yeah. smashing up the car, getting a bad mark, spending money we shouldn't have spent, but that's not what this is. No, eventually, eventually when we, we we did talk about it, went to the um, and went to the doctor because we wanted to, t- you know, she wanted to go into hormone therapy, and, and it's our same is our family doctor. Mm-hmm. So our family doctor came and talked, called me an actor, and she's like, "Well, first of all, when I first found out, I was trying to do, I've tried to say all the right things, do the right things, but to use the new name was really difficult. Yeah. And I used didn't use the old name, but I didn't use the new name, and then." We both were in to see the doctor and she calls me and she's like, you have to use the new name. She is terrified that you won't accept her. And and that broke my heart. It's like, because I'm thinking here I am this open, accepting person and love my kid. And it's like, you're terrified. So that put a lot of, you know, that just sort of changed things for me. It's like with, like, yes, I want to know. Yes, I want to be part of my kid's life. But it's like she was terrified to tell me and, and didn't realize that I would, she'd be outed by a phone call. We're talking to Lisa, uh, who's the mom of a trans daughter, just to reset. And she found it from a voicemail from the school that her son was a trans girl. And you're listening to 640 Toronto and Toronto Today. I always think we, we if we look back, we probably confessed and confided in a lot more you know, older teenagers that we looked up to or older people or, you know, a, a hockey coach, a tennis instructor or a teacher. And and yet at the same time, we'd be like, well, I'm telling them because I spend enough time with my parents already and you'll get it, but they won't right now. Um, you're seeing this coverage in the media right now. And I want to know if if you just think a lot of it is just just at, at either end. Like I said, there's so much subtlety and nuance to this entire issue that I don't think you're grooming kids if you're having conversations with them in a school and i sure don't think people are a hateful bigot if they're like nah there's an 
age where parents have to be notified. I don't know what it is, but but it ain't six or seven that you just keep this secret with my grade one kid and, and never tell me. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my daughter was 15 when I found, when I found out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little, it's a little different than, you know, you're, you're getting closer to, you know, you're definitely a teenager. It's like my first, when that first happened, it was like, parents should know parents, should, you know, cause I want to be part of my, my child's life. And, and then, but as I go through it, I'm think I'm actually sort of going the other way. It's like, well, if this is, you know, if, if it's so terrifying to come out to parents, it's like, okay, well, this is where I get my feet wet. This is where I try, you know, I think, you know, this is where I try it out. Like I try it in a safe space and then sort of get used to it and come out at layers. It's like, okay, well, obviously you'll tell your parents, your parents are going to find out. But to me, it was like, okay, well, this is kind of my getting, dipping my toes in the pool, like getting my feet wet. And so, and, and, with other family, it, the the hmm. thought is, well, they'll figure it out eventually. They're going to figure it out. Like I don't have to tell people; they're just going to figure it out. What's What's changed in uh, in your relationship with your child? It was night and day. Um, we went through before this. It was a year of a bad mood. Thirty, you know, three hundred sixty five days a, a year, a week, <laughs> a day. It was like every day was a bad day, and challenging everything you said and then all of a sudden it was like my kid was back like we're having chit chats on random things like she's asking my opinion on how to do things started baking hey can you help me can you help me out with this how do I do this joining joining the jazz band at school join you know joining in with clubs and like it was like all of a sudden my kid was just out there enjoying life having friends doing things engaged in the world and before that it was it, it just changed and, and were you i'm so fascinated are were you sure you'd get there because we all we all sort of have that that fraying and all of a sudden our teenagers not you know we're not the center of the universe anymore and i'm not super dad and they want to do their own things but i i also i also think eventually there's a settling of that and and you take what you can get in the good yeah. you, you take what you can get in the great as a matter of fact also and, I mean, and she's still a very, very, very private person. Mm-hmm. But it's like, again, it's like, I'll, I'll take what I can get. And it's just like, we seem to be, we seem to be good. Yeah. Um, and she just seems happy, which is all you really want. That's it. That's it at the end of the day. Hey, thank you for sharing your story. I, I wish we had more time, but I also think these are important conversations to have. I hope this, I know uh, this is one that's going to you know live with me throughout the day. And, and I appreciate you coming on and, and, and being part of our show today. My pleasure. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. So Quebec City was the home for the Conservative Party of Canada convention. It's a big deal over the weekend. It got a lot of coverage, a lot of people praising, including former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. Said Pierre Polyever's speech was one of the most impressive he's ever seen, back and forth, English to French. It was over long, right? Like, I don't know if you saw The Irishman. It, it wasn't that long, but, it, you know, it was in that neighborhood. I think I saw The Irishman over, uh, over the span of four nights or so, and I gave it a good go each single night to try and finish it. But that was Pierre's speech. Um, and he decided he would uh, step right up and and not be shy on a domestic flight. He was flying on WestJet, I assume, back uh, from Quebec to Ottawa, I assume. 
Uh, and uh, here's some of Pierre Polyevra heading to the front of the plane. And, um, and you know, for passengers, sometimes you don't know what the in-flight entertainment will be. Um, movies, Sudoku. No, 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 no. The leader of the opposition of Canada. Who's ready for a home you can afford? Who's ready for some common sense? Who's ready to give a big thank you to the WestJet pilots and crew? This is your captain warning. A little bit of turbulence, but it will only last about two years. At which time we'll have a totally new pilot in charge of the plane will pierce through the storm, safely land in our home, the country we know and love, your home, my home, our home, let's bring it home. Oh my heavens. Um, yeah, the cringe meter, that's about the fourth time I've heard that and the cringe meter creeps up. Like the temperature on a, on a hot summer day, Shiva. Here's, so the ex, here's the explanation really quick from WestJet. The use of the PA in this circumstance was approved in advance by WestJet operational leadership and up to the final determination of the operating crew. So basically, those flying the plane, he didn't go rogue here. He didn't head on up, but uh, they they got a lot of, they, they went to some lengths to approve Pierre Polyev for taking over the mic. What's your thought on this? Uh, I'm, well, one leader is stranded in India. The other one is taking over an airplane. <laughs> it is a contrast. I'll yes, give you that. It is a contrast. Yeah. Now, who is never doing business with WestJet again because of this? So, yes, yeah, singer Jan Arden, who's often uh, outspoken online, uh, basically told WestJet in a tweet. And I don't know, again, would, would anything be happening in real life if you didn't tweet about it? I'm not sure. But Jan Arden uh, denotes um, in her tweet, hey, WestJet. You and I will not be doing business ever again. This is so ridiculously disappointing. It's important to note that this was not a this was a public flight. Uh, WestJet added another flight because there was a need for it for everybody that was coming back from the convention that happened this this weekend in Quebec City, and uh, they added this flight. So there were people that were not part of the convention that were also <laughs> on this flight, just expecting to go back to as you and I are assuming Ottawa. And Pierre gets on the mic. I think that if this had been other people from, let's say, the Liberal Party, they would have gotten loud. Christian Freeland heading up uh, and running down no the way. aisle to, to take a premature high five because interest rates happened to drop for a couple weeks or inflation happened to drop for a couple weeks. Annihilated. People wouldn't talk. Omar Algabra, remember how much struggle there was with airplanes and, and uh, air, airplanes? <laughs> No, he's the last person. Well, Omar is not going to be your concierge uh, to get you from uh, point A to B last summer. So Look, the- I get the energy, though. I get the energy. It's you know you're coming back from the convention. It went really well. Brian Mulrooney says it's the best speech he's ever heard in multiple languages as well. The both Canadian languages. I get that they're all excited. There's an energy there. I don't know if getting up on on the system is the right thing to do. I think life's full of ups and downs. He gave the best speech ever at a at a Conservative Party of Canada convention and. And, and then gave the worst PA address ever <laughs> on on a public flight uh, for for an airplane. I don't know. Maybe people have thoughts on this. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Again, if it was somebody you didn't like, you'd barbecue them. And I, I got look. Uh, Arden's like ah, because Jan Arden was saying, well, he's this and that, and he's a racist and he's a fascist and all that stuff. And people say many disturbing things about Justin Trudeau that I wouldn't also agree. They're politicians at the end of the day. Think what you want disagree with their policy, call out their character, that's fine. 
But I think Arden's, again, Arden's looking to make noise about this. But I don't think it's, like, I'm not trying to be a ninny about this, but it's not very appropriate for a politician to walk up there and do that or even to organize it ahead of time. No. You're kind of outside your lane a little bit. What are two things or some things that stood out to you from the convention this weekend? Um, I, I, I think they, I think they're playing a little bit of a dangerous game with some, some of the culture stuff. I think they got to keep hammering away on inflation and housing. That's it. The Pierre videos are so effective. And even if you just play the cards, like it's time for a change. Toronto today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 530. We are 640 Toronto. I love having our next guest on. I love his Twitter threads. He really makes me think about uh, where real estate's at and and real estate kind of is that microcosm of of where all of society's at. Ron Butler from Butler Mortgage joins us right now. It's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. I look at all this about international students. Though you're not giving mortgages to, to international students, when you watch from afar, Ron, and see some of the struggles, this isn't about, well, let's just have less immigration because, or they're taking our jobs, or they're taking our spots in colleges. What I see is international students just not even getting a fair shot to come over and succeed when they're living 10 to a basement or living in tents. I find it abhorrent. Yeah, this is a a true crisis in terms of treatment of these folks. Uh, They're coming here for an education. In many cases, their relatives have saved up money, their families saved up money, got them into a Canadian university or college, and there was no expectation that there's just no place for them to live unless they're 10 to a basement. It's just outrageous. Um, you note uh, in, in your thread yesterday, most major Canadian cities, and we're sure in one in Toronto, we're going to see housing prices fall. But you do note that there's uh, there's something different happening in Calgary. What's different in Calgary than in Toronto, Ottawa, Vancouver? Well, this is a, a story of, some would say, of sprawl versus density. I mean, the reality is that they make it very easy to build houses in Calgary and mm-hmm. the whole of Alberta, actually. Uh, They make it simple. It's inexpensive because there's far lower development fees, far less taxes. There's no land transfer tax. They they just create an environment where it's easier to build houses. If you want to open up a subdivision, get your approval in a short period of time and get building. So if I was to say anything, it's about attitude. It's about we're here to help you build houses and as a government, as a municipality, And that's why we're here. We want to see more houses built as opposed to what we experience in Vancouver and certainly in the GTA. Ron Butler from Butler Mortgage, our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. You note as well that um, renters and obviously landlords and tenants are are deeply affected by interest rates. Now, I'll tell you for renting, what, maybe... 10, 11 years, both on this side of the border and the in the United States, I couldn't told you from a day-to-day basis what interest rates were, but times have changed and they really matter for people looking for rental properties or to rent out, don't they? Absolutely. You know, we went 12 years from 2009 with exceptionally low interest rates. It allowed people to purchase rental properties relatively easily. Certainly, you could make the math work. In the meantime, construction costs were rising and cities were laying on higher and higher taxes and development fees. Finally, when interest rates went up so far so fast, thanks to the Bank of Canada, um, it all unraveled. And the the numbers don't make any sense anymore. What did you make of politicians? It kind of became uh, a talking point for sure. There's the B.C. mayor who's a new Democrat, David Eby, saying 
please hold the line here. And if anything, get ready to reduce them soon. You're, you're squashing my people. And Doug Ford, a conservative, again, David Eby and Doug Ford could get in a room and they wouldn't agree a lot on policy, but they both said the same thing to the, uh, to the Bank of Canada and, and Governor Tiff Macklin. What did you make of that? Well, they both have the same problem. Both EB and Ford have the same problem. The provinces that they govern have some of the highest house prices in the world. And that's a, interest rates play havoc with that. I mean, high interest rates are very devastating for those folks in those provinces. And so there's a good reason they sent the letters. But at the end of the day, inflation is going to govern what the Bank of Canada does. You could send them a thousand letters. It wouldn't make any difference. If inflation gets going again, if we see inflation steadily rising over 4%, the Bank of Canada governor doesn't have a lot of options but to raise the rate again. What's an ideal rate? I've had people tell me it's got to be in that two and a half, um, you know, maybe even a, a smidge over three, Ron. And, and, and basically, I lived through, again, I lived through that sort of, I didn't have one, but I lived through that subprime mortgage crisis in the United States, the the Freddie and Fanny stuff, and it was ugly. It was ugly where I lived in Michigan. Is there an ideal rate you look at and you say, it, it can't? we can't be giving 0% or 1% uh, mortgage rates, but is there an ideal number for you that it would just stabilize at? Well, the Bank of Canada has their own stated target rate. They're between 2.5 and 3%. So that is the rate that I believe we will eventually see it come back to. Some, let's call it 2.75. That's a bank prime that's higher. That's a bank prime that's near 5%. But it would result in rates that are in the fours. So we'd have fixed rates in the 4% range. We'd have variable in the 4% range. And yeah, there's a big, big difference between the 6% range we're in today and 4%. It's like turning on a light switch. Are you seeing anything in the political landscape, Ram, before you go, where there's a politician or even somebody in the opposition that's hitting all the right notes that you go, they get it. We've got to eliminate red tape. We've got to build not just faster. We've got to build better. Anybody that you look at and you say, they're sounding the right tone because there's a lot of finger. I know it frustrates you. It frustrates our listeners. There's a lot of finger pointing going on. Eventually, we just have to have change. You can't continue down the same path with the same poor results for multiple years, multiple elections, and think that there's going to be change. There just isn't. So change becomes what's needed. It, you know, I, I'm not political, but mm -hmm. the reality is, if you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, that's the definition of insanity. Ron Butler, Brother Mortgage, our guest. Thanks so much for the time. Love our conversations. I appreciate you coming on this morning. Thanks for having me. Take care. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 530. We are 640 Toronto.